my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. It's Geek Stuff, TNG. What the fuck is a reboot? We're gonna be rolling out a lot of new things. Where the stars in this piece of shit? Oh, are you? I am the sandwich. No one of consequence. You can find me on Xbox at Fat Dumbledore. <laughs> you know what keeps going through my head? Where's my sandwich? I am Monty. Excellent. You're crushing my soul and giving me a headache at the same time. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. Show me what you got. Is it too late to say that I, I kind of don't care for Star Wars? You can say that Dream. and find your way out the door. <laughs> the force is strong with this one. And I am Big Kev. Hail to the king, baby. Yo, that kid Monty is fired. I have Amigo Isis action figure. Ah, uh, mighty Isis. And here we go. I'm glad I hit record right before you said that, so it looks like you're being a jerk to me for absolutely no reason. So that's how we're going to begin the show today, Dom. <laughs> hopefully, no. hopefully that recorded. Listen, guys, though. it's not what it looks like. Way to go. It's not what it looks like, I swear. No, no, it is It is what it is. You're mean. You see, I was framed. You see, here, here's let me, let me explain it what, to everyone at home what's going on. I'm sharing my knowledge of Star Wars with these two because you know they're lacking and they need a little help. So I want to just give them my expertise because wow. I mean let's be honest, The Mandalorian was so awesome. We have to just just mention that it was at least a good episode. And oh, you no. know, I oh. need to I need to, I need to hold on, hold on, hold on, Big Kev. You'll 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 get it eventually. But it was so it was such a damn near perfect episode. I mean, outside of me, it's hard to repeat perfection. But that episode Right there of Mandalorian. That was that was probably the closest thing to perfection after that. So I wanted to just you know, I wanted to share my knowledge of the Mandalorian, the whole canon of Star Wars. And now, you guys are now you know. Now you know and you understand mm -hmm. that we cannot talk about that episode of the Mandalorian. We cannot. Until next week. Agreed. So you you, the listener, should prepare now that I am going to blow up in in un uh, uh, in unmeasurable immeasurable immeasurable anger next week about that episode of the mandalorian i'm letting everybody know now you know and it's very specific and it's very uh, there were uh, there was a billion things to love about it there was one thing that was absolutely horrendous about it and it may not have to do with the tv show <gasps> oh what a tease what Ooh, deep a tease. tease i like that but if you have been reading mm. my writings on facebook you may know what i'm talking about if you've been reading my writings on our facebook page geeks of tng 
you may know what I'm talking about, but you can expect that you're going to hear about it in great detail next week. Hot so. damn. I, 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 don't, I don't like yeah. even joking around being narcissistic like that. I, I don't know how Dom oh. acts like this all the time. It's, that was, that was kind of rough. I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, for, for the people in the audience, if you've ever seen a who's framed Roger rabbit, uh, I'm Roger rabbit right now. Okay. I am Roger rabbit. I'm being my, my character is being assaulted. I'm being framed for character assassination. This oh, you're a character. I am right. the heart and soul of this. I, I'd true. like to remind everyone, I'm the heart and soul of this show. Wow. That's I am better. the heart. You should put that mic right up there because that actually sounded great. It actually really did. I am. <laughs> look at me. Look, look at me. Look at me. I am the heart and the soul of this show. <laughs> you're not wrong. Wow. You're not wrong. It felt weird not having you around. I warned you. I warned them. you, Mr. Mayhem. I warned you what would happen if you led with that heart and soul of the show because he wasn't here last week thing i warned you what would happen i listen i was just i was just being honest i was just you know you underestimate my power we you know the the kid brings uh some uh some youth and enthusiasm uh to make up for us so you know it's just uh it is what it is right there but uh, forget about it sandwich so i have the high ground i i i want i want to make a quick analogy If, if this show is episode one uh, Kevin is Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, Monty is Obi-Wan, and I am Anakin, who will rise to darkness and conquer the universe. I'm glad you But I'm a sweet, cute kid right now, so it's all okay. We have another, like, <laughs> we, we Boy, have another, I sure like hope the- 12 years before I become a homicidal maniac. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I, I sure hope the second segment of tonight's show goes goes better than this one. Just a season so better. Just this segment's going fantastic already. We didn't even hit the news yet. <laughs> Well, let's talk about let's talk about a couple of things before we get to the news. This is Geek Stuff TNG episode 616-616. And we're calling this one the other side of the black hole. I hope. I think that's I think that's the other side of the black hole. I'm pretty sure that's what we decided on. I think so too. Sounds good enough. Um, or beyond the black hole. I don't remember. Mr. Monty. We'll sort it out later. Yeah, and if, if the, show the gets- reason we're calling it, mm-hmm. the reason we're calling it that is because in segment two tonight, you are going to be treated, uh, yet honored by the uh, presence and inclusion of two individuals on this program, um, whose uh, uh, combined uh, products and 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 projects uh, have been part of your lives, whether you even know it or not. For years and years and years and years and years. And you've heard us talk about their work on this program uh, uh, multiple times. That's right. Tonight on the program, from the movie The Black Hole, it's Stephen Banks and Tom McLaughlin. Um, They were both in The Black Hole. We'll get into that with them uh, when they join us later on. And uh, Stephen went on to do the greatest one-man show of all time called Stephen Banks Home Entertainment Center, Mm -hmm. which you can see on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, Tom McLaughlin uh, went on to direct many films. He actually directed uh, Home Entertainment Center uh, that Stephen uh, uh, Banks was in. Uh, Went on to direct many films, one of which I'm sure we're going to be focusing on in our interview with them is Friday the 13th, Part 6. 
Jason Lives, mm -hmm. or as I refer to it, the one with Ron Palillo in it, or the one with Horseshack in it is usually what I say. Uh, those of you who know what that reference is, yes, yes, that was funny. Um, and then, uh, of course, Tom uh, McLaughlin in the band The Sloths. Um, so we're going to talk to him about that as well. And, and Stephen's uh, writing uh, some interesting books called, I think it's like Middle School Sucks, I think they're called. Something Bites. Like bites, Middle School Bites. Thank middle School you. Bites. Oh, yeah, it makes sense because the kid, right. Middle School Bites. Um, <laughs> yes. And other things as well. Stephen Banks was also a head writer of SpongeBob for six years. So anyway, uh, we're very excited to have them join us in segment two. But before we get to segment two, if you want to connect with us, you want to hit us up at the GVM line. 201-730-2547. Too slow. Or you can drop us a line over at our email. Geeksoftng at gmail.com. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and, and check us out there. Mr. Monty, don't we have some sort of Patreon we sure do. thing? We do. We, we sure do. I, I forgot how to use word ads. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash geekstufftng. For just a buck, you can be part of our uh, Discord service where uh, many good friends, uh, fans of the show and friends, uh, have pointed out that I need to uh, take back my comments on uh, not liking Star Wars originally, so you can be part of that conversation. Uh, for $3 a month, you get the show a day and a half <laughs> early, which is uh, usually Wednesday night, maybe Thursday with the length of today's show, uh, and a sneak peek at the prep sheet. For $5, you get the weekend bonus show, and you get some vintage episodes of Big Kev's Geek Stuff. For $10 a month, you get uh, to see the show live on the Instagram, which you definitely got your money's worth today alone. And, you know, we don't mention it much. For 40 bucks, you can also be, uh, we, you can have a commercial run on the show and advertise on uh, Geek Stuff TNG, which, uh, by the by, somebody's going to be taking advantage of uh, as we speak. So that should be uh, a fun nice. thing that we're going to be including there. So, uh, yeah, that's patreon.com slash geekstufftng uh, to help us out for the behind-the-scenes stuff here at the show. Uh, so that's it for the notes and stuff. Uh, boys, let's keep it short and sweet. Uh, we have a handful. Yeah, let's of do some quick hits. Yeah, we definitely got some simple things. So Christopher Nolan uh, reacts to the whole uh, HBO Max Warner Brothers plan um, with the fact that they're going to be releasing uh, their 2021 slate in theaters and on HBO Max at the exact oh, right. same time. Uh, and he's just not happy. Uh, he's gone on. I'm not going to read everything because that will take up pretty much all the time we have. But he pretty much said that if, uh, HBO Max is the worst streaming service that there is. Uh, he went on to say that they're uh, pretty much screwing everybody by going this route. And that it's an absolute joke for them to pursue it this way. Um, my, my two, and also I should just point out, Legendary uh, reportedly upset because of the whole Godzilla King versus Kong and Dune as well with that whole shift as well. Um, I don't blame people for being upset in this circumstance because, uh, just right away by kind of killing their, ex the excitement for these films, perhaps, um, whatever happens in 2021, I, this is going to screw them over in the long run in terms of, uh, maximizing on profits in terms of, um, you know, future it, it opportunities. 
it really is damaging the movie theater industry. And, and, you know, because and, I mean, we're on the precipice of the vaccine and people getting vaccines and, you know, like spring and summer and fall, it seems like things might get to a point where movie theaters might be able to operate in some capacity again. And the fact that Warner Brothers has gone ahead and said, no, we're just going to do it this way anyway. Um, I, that sucks. I mean, I'm ready I'll be honest with you, uh, Mr. Mayhem, Mr. Sandwich. I'll be honest with you when I say I'm ready to fly to an island that actually has a movie theater to see Dune on the big screen. I have a big TV, big, but I don't want to watch Dune for the first time on my TV. I want to watch it. Well, I want to watch it in IMAX, but I don't even know that I have that opportunity in this state. But the point is, is that I want to see it on a big screen. I don't want to see it on my TV. And I, I get, I kind of get where they're coming from. I kind of get where, you know, it, it is their thing to do with as they choose. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, they're kind of cutting off their nose to spite their face um, with regards to the movie theater industry. So I don't know how that one rolls out. I mean, I see both sides of the coin here. I mean, it, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. And, and Dom, I, I don't know how like you you feel right now, but you you, you if there's going to be a big name that kind of comes up to uh, defend these theaters, like a, a celebrity or someone who's behind the camera, uh, it's he, definitely sandwich. He's he's the person that will uh, stop it. He's the uh, no one's the person that can actually has that kind of clout where maybe he can make some kind of actual change in some capacity. You know, it's for me personally, I understand the need to get these movies out because you can't delay them. Cause we know there's an end in sight in my, there's an end in sight to all this hullabaloo. So you can't just push these off into infinity. I also don't think putting it on HBO is the move for every movie. Maybe Wonder Woman because you know Wonder Woman's supposed to come out soon, but you know, if you're going to put out these movies, I think like we're saying, you know, 2021 and all that stuff on HBO, you're screwing people. You're screwing a lot of people out of money they worked for in time. And it's just, it's not fair. It's really not fair. Are you going to reimburse them for the money they would have made if it just had a straight theatrical release in a non-COVID? You know, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's not fair the, the way that they're doing this in my personal humble sandwich opinion. Let's, let's, also, let's also point out the fact that you are not going they the lesson learned from Mulan is you are not going to have to pay anything additional to see this first run content on HBO Max. So on Christmas Day when I got nothing better to do when I wake up and you know open you know my my present or two that I may receive when when that happens and I'm done I'm watching Wonder Woman and I'm not paying anything extra for it because I have access to HBO Max. So there's no need uh, for me to pay additional dollars to see it, which kind of supports what Dom was saying in the sense that, you know, profits are going to suffer for some of these projects. Um, but, you know, again, it is theirs to do with as they please. I so. mean, Dom, Dom made a good point. I mean, this is the chance, you know, if uh, 
obviously Marvel has been, let, let's just focus on the comic book movies for a second. You know, Marvel has obviously been the dominant franchise. I think that goes without question right now. Uh, this yeah. is a chance when, uh, you know, they're kind of just pressing pause right now. Disney's pressing pause on Black Widow and, um, I don't know, I guess Spider-Man technically. Uh, I mean, this is a chance for them to try to, like, you know, get us, take advantage of the situation uh, in, to a degree. Uh, to get Wonder Woman, maybe create some buzz around DC while it's a little quiet on the Western front for uh, Marvel. So I, I see that aspect. So that kind of makes sense. But again, I can kind of see for like the other companies, like how it in, involves them as well. So I, again, I, I don't think there's a, a proper answer here. And I think it, it's really uh, crappy. It's the, you know, and especially the mom and pop movie theaters, as you were alluding to, Kev. Um, you know, they were struggling a bit before and I can only imagine what 2021 is going to be like for them, um, at that point. So, yeah. Um, we have two. just to be clear, before, mm -hmm. just to be clear before we move on, I think the prevailing rumor now is that black widow is going to go to Disney plus possibly early in the new year. We'll see. What is, I think WandaVision was announced for, was it the end of January now? I trying to. Yeah. They pushed it a couple of weeks. It was supposed to premiere right at the end of December. And I think now they pushed it two or three weeks for some reason. Also Spider-Man three is filming and everybody is talking about it, but nobody is saying anything. Can I just say I'm not excited for the next Spider-Man movie now? I'm officially I, I no longer excited. Me, the Spider-Man. Why? Movie. What? What? What threw you off? I'm so tired. This kind of goes back from my rant last week, which Dom missed. This goes back to just the fact that everyone is is spoiling stuff. They're not talking about oh, trailers. Yeah. They're just there's like they almost feel like they're they're you know they're they're ruining like expectations. Like they're spoiling stuff yeah. so much that it's I'm not excited anymore and it's happening more and people act like it's breaking news like this it's not fun and and you know i watch those kind of i watch those mcu movies to get away to escape from things so you posting on social media or talking like i get for this show it's a little different when there's a trailer and in yeah. general we kind of need to talk about things but people are just you know throwing it out there left and right like i'm no longer excited for spider-man and that's, as you know, one of my, if not my top favorite superhero characters. So I'm just, well, I, I mean, I'm going to see think, the movie. I'm going to be excited. It's just as of right, right now, I'm not, I'm not, eh, I'm whatever. About I think it. once we get a trailer or something, maybe you'll get a little reignited about it. And actually Sandwich, to his credit, uh, text us this morning. That was, that was you, right, Sandwich? That text us and, was that yesterday? It said yes. Charlie Cox. It was today. Okay. Is being, that was today. That was today, right? Charlie Cox is uh, yes. rumored to be showing up as as um, as Daredevil, which I don't think is going to happen. I think he, if he shows up at all, he's going to show up as Matt uh, as Matt Murdock. Yeah, I don't think he'll show yeah, up. So, so they 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 the articles I did read were saying Murdock, not Daredevil. Okay, but I think in the text I might have said Daredevil because. And that's you know, great for so many his reasons. Role. It's great for so many reasons because I have to believe that if they were able to get Charlie Cox to do this movie, I can't imagine it's a one-off cameo. Maybe it is, but I can't imagine that's the case. They got to be developing Daredevil again somewhere for something. 
That's I just have to believe that. And with the slate of Disney Plus shows, one of which is Moon Knight, uh, where there's a lot of cross with Daredevil, I mean, I got to believe they're going to be doing something else with the Charlie Cox Daredevil again. I got to believe that. I mean, listen, I would like I would like that, but I'll just be honest, I'd rather experience while watching it in the movie theater or watching it on Disney Plus, like not through a Twitter you know, not through a tweet no, or yeah, a Facebook I'm with post. You. Like that, yeah. I want to experience. It's the same thing we talked about with, um, um, oh god, what Planet of the Apes with the ending. Like that ending yeah. was just you know one of the greatest endings of all time. But now even the the DVD cover of that spoils the ending at the same time. So yeah. it's like it just kills the medium for me. So I can go in a whole. You know, maybe if the sandwich shop isn't open this week, and maybe I'll I'll do something more on that because uh, what I mean, the sandwich shop is always I'm, open. I'm what kind of thing is the that weather? Even the weather's today? a little. It's snowing here today, Big Kev. You never know how it's going to be with Jersey. It's going to be yeah. summer what's by snow? noon. We didn't, we didn't get a shipment until later, so it's it's all over the place. What's what's snow? It's this. It's this. It's something. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on. We have like two more stories to hit on before we go to break, uh, and they're really okay. quick. Uh, AMC Plus, because that's a streaming service, uh, announced the first ever Walking Dead holiday special, what? which is going to be debuting on Sunday, December thirteenth, uh, exclusively on the premium streaming bundle service. Um, of course, for uh, uh, an hour long. Kev, I, I know you're you're. I think you're the only one I know who's still watching The Walking Dead. So maybe you'll yeah, get, maybe and- you'll get a kick out of it just because. Yeah, well, a couple of things. One is, if it's set in the winter, they've never done anything in the series set in the winter. So usually the breaks between seasons are the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, it, it, it seems like that there's there's just no storytelling that happens in the winter. I guess they just kind of, you know, too, bunk, so. hunker down and try to oh, stay no, warm. So. Yeah. Who has time to start like a, a survivor war in the middle of the cold? Yeah. It's like negative. Yeah, it's too cold. I'm going to stay inside. <laughs> you don't have heat. You know, <laughs> I'll call like, I'll call I get it. And eat but your yeah. face like next, next month. And you know, and we've talked about this. The season coming up is the last season. It's going to be extended an extended final season, but it's going to be the final season. And then, pardon me. And then we have the spinoffs. You know, we, we have fear. The walking dead is still happening. I'm about two seasons in. It's picking up a little bit, but it hasn't, it doesn't have me yet. And then there's that new one. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is. I haven't watched it at all yet. It's about kids that have only grown up in the world with zombies in it and they need to go out yeah, in the world to yeah. find one of their dads or something. I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and then there's at least one more spinoff coming Carol and. Daryl, the Carol and Daryl show. Uh, I think that's coming, but I think that's coming after the end of the main series. And then I think I seem to recall that there being another one either being talked about or developed as well. So I don't know. But yeah, I do check them out. I still think the main show is really great. In fact, once it does end fully all the way, I'm I'm probably going to go back and watch it through again because although it had times that were slower and not as great as other times, uh, it was still overall, it was still a, still a great series. Um, really quickly. Dom before, looks like he's stroking out. He is a little bit. Uh, I do want to point out that um, as of right now, your face up tomorrow, they're going to be. No, not, no the, I meant Dom, not you. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, they're going to be announcing the time person of the year. 
And half of the tweets I'm see, seeing are either going for Anthony Fauci or they're going for the child. It keeps going back and forth between the two as I'm scrolling through the Twitter feed right now. So uh, <laughs> Wow. So, so weird. Because if, if Anthony Fauci was green, he would just be the child. Maybe, maybe. Uh, one other story just to kind of put on your radar because this is just funny. Um, Black Mirror uh, has teased a new Netflix mockumentary called uh, The Death to 2020. Uh, they released a Twitter uh, video about it. Uh, when did the, the, I'm looking at this. It's going to be a three episode, three episodes for their fifth season. Um, no word on when it's going to be released exactly, hopefully soon. Uh, but just to put that on your radar, because Black Mirror is good stuff, and that's just kind of funny. Because uh, it also reminds me of the video that um, Ryan Reynolds' uh, production company did of uh, Death or Satan rather, uh, doing like uh, a Tinder match with 2020 and the two of them go on dates and they just like destroy things. And uh, it was an absolutely hysterical YouTube video if you get a chance to check that out. So, yep, that's just uh, that's just about it for that. Um, Big Kev, we have, uh, we have a lot of stuff. We have some people waiting, so why don't uh, you take us to break? We have a voicemail that we're going to save for next week with West oh, Coast yeah. Scott. Well, so yeah, we'll save, we're going to save that. Scott will understand because we have two extraordinary guests mm -hmm. on the other side of this commercial break. So with that, Mr. Sandwich, Mr. Mayhem, uh, we will take our first and only break on this exciting episode of Geek Stuff TNG, episode 616, 616, the one we're calling The Other Side of the Black Hole. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, Geek Stuff listeners, it's West Coast Scott here. Did you know I do a podcast with my lovely wife? Say hi, Brittany. Hi. Tell them about our podcast. We do a weekly podcast where we talk about travel, conventions, Disneyland, and our growing family. It's called The PieCast because we got married on Pie Day, and it's available wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. At Pie Day Family. And my new Twitter handle is at Pie Day Scott. Check us out. Okay, here we go. I'm James Hatton. And I'm Podcast Rob. And we're the Something Something Cast. We're a pop culture podcast that chats about movies, comics, TV, music, video games, and a whole lot more. Check us out at our home at somethingcast.com and also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other fine podcatchers as well. Proud members of Hashtag Pottern Family and ACPN, the art, comedy, and pop culture podcast network. Build your own X-Wing. Skywalker's legendary Red 5 Starfighter from the Star Wars Saga. The X-Wing is recreated in stunning detail in a massive 1 to 18 scale and comes complete with remote activated working lights, R2-D2 motorized wings, removable hyperdrive opening cockpit, and a magazine full of fascinating facts, plus an amazing step-by-step -step assembly guide. You will also receive a free binder, power pack, and bookends model space.
Live from Studio M, the sandwich shop, and Big Kefuna Studios, it's Geek Stuff TNG. During our commercial break, you heard from our amazing sponsor, BuildXWing.com. This model is a 118th scale, making it the only fully scaled, fully detailed X-Wing ever made for use with your three and three quarter Star Wars action figures. This X-Wing features many amazing details like the proton torpedo bay, working engine lights, and a light of R2-D2. You can add your own boops, bops, and beeps. The S-foils open into attack position. The laser cannons simulate firing, and the engine lights power up all by remote control. We recommend you take them up on their do-do-do-do-do-do premium offer. You get 118 scale hanger accessories to create a detailed display of your X-Wing, including crates, tanks, personal transporter, landing lamps, fuel pump, ladder, as well as several static figures, including ground crew members and even Luke Skywalker himself. When you sign up for your subscription each month, in addition to your parts of the model, you'll get four full color magazines featuring instructions for your parts of the model. Uh, for parts you received, sorry. Fascinating articles about the original models used in the movies and more. You can collect these great source materials in a free binder, which you'll receive as part of your subscription. As a fan of collectibles, you may have seen models like this online or at shows or conventions. And I don't need to tell you, the price tag can be quite high. The genius of this system is that you're paying a little each month, as well as having fun putting it together yourself. You can check out more info over at buildxwing.com or reach them by phone at 877-544-6779. Check them out today. Good job, Sandwich. Good job, even though the nice uh, job, boy. internet seems to hate you today for some reason. Uh, Big Kev, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. I am I am beyond, beyond excited today uh, joining us here in segment two. Uh, this has been in the works for some time now, and mm -hmm. I'm so glad that it finally came together. And really, it's been in the works for some time all because of me. So I'm, I'm very happy uh, to be able to say welcome uh, to, to two individuals. One individual um, I've been a fan of for, let's say, half my life. And the other uh, individual I didn't know I was a fan of until several weeks ago. But as it turns out, I'm a huge fan of his, too. Um, joining us today is uh, Mr. Stephen Banks and Mr. Tom McLaughlin. Uh, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Fun to be here. So uh, just real quick uh, uh, about why, uh, uh, may I call you Tom and Stephen? I should have asked you that earlier, probably. Sure. Why, why, Tom, why Tom and Stephen are joining us today is because um, uh, several weeks ago, I'm, I, I, as you guys know, I'm a member of many groups on Facebook because, you know, I like to keep my finger on the pulse of late 70s and early 80s sci-fi. Uh, and one of those groups is um, uh, the Black Hole fans group, the, the fans of the Disney movie, The Black Hole. And as it turns out, uh, one day I happened to catch a post where, uh, where one of these gentlemen, Stephen, said, oh, yeah, I, I was actually an extra in The Black Hole. And I, of course, went ballistic <laughs> because as a Black Hole fan, as a toy collector, specifically a guy who likes to get toys signed, um, I immediately wrote Stephen and said, well, who were you? 
you know, and he's like, oh, I was one of the century robots. And I was like, oh, it's amazing. We started this conversation and he said, yeah. And I know Tom, the guy who was Captain Star. And I was like, my head's exploding at this point. I'm like, please, if I get you some carded figure, do you think maybe you could sign one for me and get Tom to sign one for me? And and Stephen was very gracious and said, yeah, I will work on that for you. I was ecstatic. And of course, Stephen's figure is expensive. Tom's figure is impossible from a toy mm. perspective, only released in Italy and so on and so forth. Um, so I, I had some made up in England. I had to send things to England, wait for them to get to England. Then they had to be created, then get sent to Stephen to get them signed. And But in the course of all of that going on, I don't know why one day I happened to look at Stephen's whole name and it said Stephen Banks. And I was like, <laughs> Stephen Banks, Stephen Banks. Hmm. I don't think. And then I took a second to look at his profile picture and I was like, well, that kind of looks like Stephen Banks. <laughs> <laughs> That's Stephen Banks that I have known and have been <clears throat> sharing with people for literally half my life. That looks like him. It could be him. So what I decided was, well, let me look at some more pictures of Stephen Banks on his. I basically I stalked I stalked Stephen Banks hey, on creeper. Facebook. Yeah, creeper. And yeah, I totally did. And then I realized that he was in fact the Stephen Banks uh, uh, of uh, of a thing we'll discuss in a, in a little bit uh, of a special of. Well, I'm just going to put it out there. It's the finest one man show <laughs> I have ever seen. A guy who grew up in theater and film and everything else. It is the single best. I've seen Patrick Stewart do Christmas Carol, one man show. Home Entertainment Center is a better show, my opinion. <laughs> so that I just said, have more props. <laughs> you do use more props. That's okay. It's not about the props. It's, it's <laughs> about the overall sort of feeling. Um, and so I gingerly wrote Stephen Banks and I was like, so Stephen Banks of Stephen Banks Home Entertainment Center? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And I literally, you, my roommates will attest that I literally jumped up out of the <laughs> chair and I was like, holy shit. You know, like it was just amazing how many things. And then he tells me, yeah. And Tom McLaughlin, the guy who played Star in Black Hole, <laughs> He's the guy that directed it. And I was like, what? <laughs> just mind explosions left and right. So that's just a brief story of how all this came together. I asked the gentleman if uh, I asked Stephen if he would ask Tom if um, they would be interested in joining us for a segment on the show to talk about these, these many things. Um, and they agreed. And that's what brings us here today. So without any further ado, why is Stephen Banks not mentioned anywhere in the credits or any other literature that I have read about Black Hole, but Tom McLaughlin is actually named in the credits as Captain Star. But he didn't well, have a manager. If he had a manager, <laughs> you'd have a name update. <laughs> well, I wasn't in the union and I'm only in it because Tom, who is my best friend, uh, uh, called me up. They needed people who were like six feet and could move. Most, a lot of mimes, some dancers, mostly mimes. And I was just paid as like a glorified extra um, a, a day. What well, didn't get in the union until later in Tom's movie, Date with an Angel. And then 
So that's why our names aren't on there because they don't put extras in. And now they do. And I guess right. they put everybody. They put people who walk by the set uh, <laughs> on the screen. But <laughs> in credits, goes by so yeah. fast you can't read them. Yes, I know. I hate that. But yeah, so that's why that that's how it, I think that's why it's not in there. I mean, I've mentioned it sometimes in interviews and so forth. Uh, it was a long time ago, but yeah, it was uh, it was a great it was a terrific experience, which we'll we'll tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> but Tommy oh, was a he had a part. He had a real part. He had a name. Yeah, he did. And, and you know what, what's really exciting uh, uh, about that is that. Um, you know, it's just not one of those things that you think about so many years later that, wow, I was in a Disney movie. You know, I think, because, I think about it. You know, well, <laughs> no, we, we were very excited. We were a couple of, you know, Disney geeks. So it was a big deal for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How, it, did, it, how did that come about for, for you, Tom? Well, interestingly enough, um, my ex-wife, um, Katie, uh, who was, I had a group called the LA Mine Company, and she was part of that, and then we ended up getting married in a slapstick wedding ceremony, and when the act broke up, sort of the marriage broke up, and she called me, and she had heard that they were looking for somebody to choreograph the humanoids and the sentry robots. So I came in really as a choreographer, stunt, you know, you know, to do any of the stunt stuff that had to be directed. Um, and, you know, for me, it was like, you know, who are you getting for the centuries? And they said, well, do you have any ideas? I mean, luckily, you know, Stephen and I had a number of other friends that we knew that were all in that six foot. So, you know, I was able to bring them in. So it made the whole experience a lot of fun because it had all the pals there as part of it. And then in the course of doing the movie, Gary Nelson, the director, came to me and he said, we want to create a part for you. And I went, really? And he goes, yeah, we're going to like write something. It wasn't in the script to have you do this Captain Star robot shootout thing. So that's kind of how I ended up being in the movie. And I was shocked as anybody about why I got credit with all these lofty superstars, you know, in there. But I was very happy to, to get the credit. And occasionally, you know, I get the residuals for $10, $15, sometimes $3. I was going to say, what is it? What does a check for 68 cents look like? Yeah. You, know, you know, we've got you know it's too bad you don't get a nickel every time it plays on Disney Plus. I, I bet you get a stack of nickels there. So Stephen, we know how you came in because uh you being friends with uh, uh with Tom. Um but what I'm wondering now 106 years later is can you pick yourself out? Do you know what scenes Oh yeah, no, I can because I because I remember um, uh, it was yeah uh, Don Lewis, Mike Corcus, myself I, were, were mimes who were in the uh, in it. The other names I can't remember. Tommy might remember. And when we went out on across the 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 big bridge in that scene right. where we march out and turn, um, I'm the I'm the fifth one from the right. So I I know who I am <laughs> when I because I just thought I'm gonna gotta remember because when we did that it was very interesting they put us in those outfits and man when they put those on they they didn't snap like the face place on they screwed it on and once they screwed it on you couldn't like pull it off and breathe or whatever it was screwed on then you walked up to this guy camera he's great he goes step into my office and he would spray paint so they would hide the screws. So you'd have to hold your breath because he was just spraying full-on paint, spray paint in your face. So 
we all got up there the first time to walk across that bridge and we all get ready and they go, okay, let's just try a take, you know, or not a take, but actually we walked out. It was terrifying because we're very high up. The, the bridge was, I don't know, four feet wide, maybe four and a half feet in width. And it was a drop and there were no nets. There was nothing below us. And so we all walked out like real tentatively. We were supposed to walk out like, you know, mean, scary sentries. <laughs> and we all kind of walked out like the scaredy cats we were. So they go, okay, we got to fix this. We got used to it. And then I remember they just put mattresses below us, very far below, which we might have hit or might not have. Luckily, no one fell. But then we got used to it walking out on that bridge. And then we were able to go in our, you know, robotic movements and turn and so forth. But no, it was scary. That first time, I can still remember that. It was very scary looking down. <laughs> so basically, they, they, they screwed you into a helmet, dosed you, and asked you to walk in a straight line. Yes, in that's the late seventies. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, that was Hollywood. Yeah. Well, because we. I mean, we were. I guess we were glorified extras. I think we got. I don't. I get nothing. I get no residuals or anything from the movie because I wasn't in the guild yet, the Screen Actors Guild. Um, but yeah, and they had those slant boards like um, the Tin Man in uh, Wizard of Oz that you could because you couldn't sit down once you did right. it. We wore like long red underwear under underneath. I don't know why. And I remember walking around the Disney lot in the long, going to lunch. <laughs> Let's go. And we just walking around long red underwear and going to the commissary. Um, then we thought we should at least put jeans on or something. So then, then at least we look sort of like, I don't know, a band from the 70s. <laughs> what was the buzz like going into the film? Because this is at the same time around Star Wars and Star Trek, which was obviously hugely popular. It was after Star Wars and, you know, who Disney had turned down Star Wars. And so it was like, to me, at least it sort of felt like they were jumping on the bandwagon and it was going right. like, hmm, this, is, you know, wh why are they doing this? And I also remember they had a big, Tom, they had that, the big thing was the secret of the black hole. No one's going to know what it's like when they go in the black hole. And they had the storyboards on these huge panels on the sound, the soundstage, I, I remember, as I remember. And then of course they had that whole section like blocked out or it wasn't up and supposedly, what was it only Ron Miller and the director knew and whoever drew it, I, I don't think it was Ellen Shaw, whoever drew it, what was gonna happen once they went right. into the black hole. For us, and for me, it was exciting going onto the Disney lot and, and um, it being a Disney movie. I mean, that was thrilling to be on a soundstage and, and that was, that, that was yeah, the first movie I'd been in, so that was just exciting. Tom, how did you feel? So, yeah, that's what I'm. I'm. I'm about to ask. I'm like Tom. So, did you have the same sort of experience? They screw you into that suit too for your uh, for well, your big yeah. shootout scene. Well, I was sort of an old hand on that because uh, I got hired by Woody Allen to work with him on Sleeper. So I was in that you know robot thing too, and then you know I, I played a mutated bear in Prophecy. Uh, the Jabberwocky and Alice in Wonderland. So I was used to the, you know, the suits and all the, you know, the drawbacks of having to put a human being in that. Some of those things were like 150 pounds that you were carrying around, like, you know, with the, uh, the Jabberwocky. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's a tough gig. And I, I you know, it's got to be really thrilling as, as Steven said, and I imagine it's uh, the same for you, Tom, if, if, uh, if you can say, but, was uh, you know the the being on the Disney lot and doing a Disney film? I mean, in that era, that's kind of like the 
you know, what, what some people refer to as the beginning of the dip, you know, before yeah. they, you know, before they kind of went a, a bit south for a couple of years and then came roaring back. So, you know, well, I, I, I'm wondering what, what it's like, you know, what the, it was the like. The exciting thing was, you know, Peter Allen Shaw and all these sort of classic, you know, creation, creative people from Walt's day, you know, were a part of that. And that was wonderful. Ron Miller, to all of us, was a football player that married into the family that was now in, running the studio. And there was, you know, one time where I, I went in to watch the dailies. And um, there was it was the director and, and Ron and maybe one other person. Nobody really cared. But, you know, me wanting to be a filmmaker, I definitely wanted to see it. And it was the first time they were going to show the, the, the graphic of the uh, black hole itself. And, you know, so we were sitting there and, and Ron goes, um, is there any way we could see down into it a little more so we could see the depth of that? And, oh, it was a visual effects guy. And he goes, and that would cost a lot. Okay, forget it. And then I thought, there it is. I mean, Walt would say, I don't care how much, make this happen, you know. So it was, you know, it was a time period, obviously, before the new regime took over and, you know, and really sort of, you know, Splash and all those things came in. That was right. like, what are we? We, you know, part of Walt's old vision? Are we trying to come up with something new? What are we? And so it was a strange period. But for those of us like Stephen and I, who are huge, nostalgic Disney fans, just to walk in that studio and, to, you know, walk around and eat in the commissary and stuff, you know, that was a big thrill. Oh, it, it was great. I mean, and you could also, this was nuts. You could also walk around, you could go into the animation building. No, it was a separate building from the animation building. This person showed me this room. You could go in, anybody could go in, and they had all the matte paintings like uh, that Leon Shaw from previous films, like Mary Poppins. Wow. You could literally just open this drawer and pull them out, touch them, you know, pull out these glass things on this like drawer that slid out and look at them and touch them. They were big, it would be hard to steal. But <laughs> well, <I got laughs> it was just a drawer, you could walk right in. And then also in the, in the main, the animation building, the displays they had on the walls of the cells were original cells. Now they're all copies. Um, right. But uh, that's the thing. It was just, you know, to, to be on the soundstage where they did the Mickey Mouse Club. I mean, that was incredible. Later, I did meet Annette on the, <laughs> Annette, the Annette on the soundstage of them, and they brought out the old uh, Mickey Mouse curtain, which was pretty thrilling. Wow. But uh, it was, and part of the Zorro set was still there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were very young. It was just, it was, it was very exciting. But as what Tom was saying, the money thing, like looking at the robots and the little Vincent and those that flew around, when you looked at them, it wasn't R2-D2, you know, it wasn't C-3PO. There wasn't that attention to detail right. at all. Um, and I remember seeing it the first time. And I mean, now they've, maybe they've erased them or it's Blu-ray. I haven't seen it on, but you can see them. But I mean, you could see the strings, which was like, hmm. Well, you wouldn't allow it. No. If you know where to look, you can still see. I don't know. Do you, are, have you guys? This is this is a good question to ask. Have either of you seen the film in forty-one years? I watched. I watched part of it. one day. Um, I also wrote an animation. I was working at uh, Nickelodeon, and I was head writer of SpongeBob SquarePants for about six years. Yes, sir. And I was walking out one day, and I saw this guy. It was like like six thirty, watching the black hole, and it was. Right out of a perfect time, he was coming right up to the century scene where he walked across the bridge. And he, you know, he's watching it. And first I went, 
why are you watching this movie? <laughs> he goes, oh, and he was young, much younger. Than he goes, oh, it's great. I love this movie. I go, really? And I didn't say anything. And then the thing I said, I said, see that fifth century one? Yeah. I go, that's me. What, dude? What, what? And then, you know, we talked and so forth. Um, I know exactly how he feels. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, I've seen parts of it, chunks of it and so forth. Um, I think if I'd been younger, a little kid when I saw it, I would have said, this is great. Um, but I think the age and having seen Star Wars and so forth, you know, it just, it, it, you know, script wise, I mean, great actors, my God, they had incredible yeah. actors in that incredible. movie. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was cool to look at the guy, wow, there's Yvette Mew and there's Max Munchell and, you know, all, all the people that were in it. Um, yeah, we wanted to love it. I mean, we were there to go, this has got to be great. And then you're sort of going, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And yeah, we went opening least... day. Remember, Tom? We went to Century yeah. City when they had the movie theater there. And we all went there and uh, to to watch it because we were excited. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and rightly so. So now, now I don't know that you guys, <clears throat> you know, I don't know that you guys know this or not, but, you know, it is on Disney+. Plus, mm-hmm. So... There are, you know, a generation of people who are enjoying it for the first time. Yeah. Um, Two-fifths of the people in this room right now have recently enjoyed it for the first time at, ah. at my behest. Uh, so uh, uh, one of the things that I find really funny about it, and Tom, maybe you can, uh, you can appreciate this maybe um, more than anybody, Disney left the Entra-Acte music on the Disney Plus version so it literally plays two and a half minutes of music with black screen and as i understand it there have been people who have been contacting disney plus saying there's something wrong with this black hole movie because (laughs) it plays two and a half minutes before anything of just black screen before anything happens do do they Um, do the overture do they play the it wasn't there an overture initially yeah yeah yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, I think we're talking about the same yeah. thing. But yeah, they, well, that's they, the middle. The interact is in the middle. But yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, yeah, the you're right. Sorry, you're right. right. That is, yeah, it's the overture. There is no interact. But uh, the overture. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's the overture. They play the overture for two and a half minutes on black screen, even right. on Disney Plus, and people just don't know what is. It fooled me. What is happening? So, another. Yeah. Well, part. movies movies used to do that. I mean, you'd sit there and you'd hear the thing as you came in it was much more like a theater experience um well i you know as a completist it's great that they do that i mean it's kind of cool they, they they keep that in there it's good like on tcm where they'll put a title card up and say like overture yeah, yeah. um but then they're not doing that on disney plus and well, people are like what's going on the other thing that that i you know as you know I, I i literally we literally could sit here all day and talk about the black hole but there's a million other things i want to talk to you about i just want to ask you both uh, your opinion about what happens at the end of the black hole <laughs> go now you guys were around in the 70s so and you were you know you were appropriately aged so maybe you understand what happened at the end of the black hole I still don't get it to this day. I, I've stopped trying to figure it out and just accept it for what it is. And I'm a big fan of the movie. So, you know, I, I've accepted it. But I'm just curious to know. I'm just curious about your guy's opinion about what happened at the end of that movie. I, for me, it's a David Lynch moment. Um, 
you know, ask David Lynch what his movies mean. And you'll yeah. pretty much what the end of that is. You kind of bring to it what you want to. And I, I'm pretty certain as we were making the movie, they didn't have any idea how this is going to be, what they're going to do. They were all, everybody scratching their heads trying to come up with something. So they obviously came into the thing of maybe it's heaven. You know, maybe it's another universe that we've never discovered, you know, but it's something far beyond our intelligence. So if we're asked to understand what it is, no, it's, you know, you're not smart enough. I'm sorry. No one is. So, I, you know, that's sort of what I got, that they just came up with something so over the top that you kind of could write in what you wanted, your own interpretation. Let me ask you something, Kev. Yes, sir. Have you heard about a remake? Because I was contacted like, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half ago by Radio Disney, and they did a whole hour with me. We got Captain Star! And of course, there wasn't <laughs> enough to talk about other than, you know, they were talking about there was going to remake. So they if they were to... so If they were so shallow as to only talk about your role as Captain Star and not no, no, your no, incredible no. direction of <laughs> Home Entertainment Center... They couldn't, no, they, they couldn't. So we ended up talking about, you know, my Jason Lives, my Stephen King movie, my, you oh, know, yeah. all this horror stuff. And I go, but this is Radio Disney. Do you really want to hear about this stuff? <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, very strange. But, you know, the main thing was this thing about a remake. Have you heard anything about that actually happening? So, you know, you know what happens, Tom, is every so often, everything rolls around to being talked about making a remake and i don't know that that you know this or not um uh and and this is for both of you do you know that there was a comic book sequel to the black hole no yes i I have the comic book i didn't know there was a sequel too yeah that they come out on the other side and there's something with dinosaurs and uh that just outrageously like what the hell is if you thought the end of the movie was strange (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait till you see what's on the other side. You know, like it was really strange. But Tom, just to answer your question, everything rolls around yeah. into remakes. Every time there's a, and usually it happens around anniversary times. Like if they're going to, uh, you know, promote a particular anniversary. I didn't get any special Blu-ray for the 40th of Black Hole. Just saying. Um, but you know, like every time we get to one of those those kind of monumental sort of uh, uh anniversaries it's like up oh, and you know there's there's chatter about they may remake this movie uh you know it happens every five years uh for flash gordon or anytime sam jones appears anywhere well, the question uh, is know. whether the, is there been a script I and mean, has anybody scripted it or they've done anything like that because that, no, that i've, usually I've heard of nothing because i got to spend money you know on a yeah writer. yeah i've well, heard I'm, nothing well, what's odd about too is we all know Black Hole was not a financial success, and just the way it's viewed. Um, I, I mean, usually like a remake, it's like, oh, we're going to remake Psycho, or which they shouldn't have, or, or something else, or Ben Hur, something that was a big hit before. Because uh, I heard that same rumor about Black Hole, and I thought, why? Yeah, I think, and I- it's it. it- Every it comes around to everything, Nick. No, I was gonna say I think it also has to do with uh, when there's like a slow news cycle going on uh, at the same <laughs> time, and people are kind of starving for clicks on the internet. I think that uh, that in, in turn has something to do with it as well. So uh, yeah, I think it's just part of the contribution. Someone's at my door. I'll be right back. This is exciting. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> is this is this a planned visit? I'm not, is it Maximilian Shell? Did you invite him over for to, to, to just hop in? I'm not hitting pause. I I think I hit Maximilian Shell. Oh, Isn't he the only guy who's? It's the new script for the black hole. It just came. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He, usually they oh, knock oh. and then just leave a package. He wouldn't leave. Am, am I wrong about this? Is Maximilian Shell the only uh, the only actor who's still alive from the main cast? I I thought he died. Did he die? I think oh, so. I if, if that's the case, I think I, mean, I think uh, they've all Borgnine's dead. Uh, Yvette Mignot is she she gone? She might be alive. Also, I don't know. I, I, it's that I, was another. I, I said I don't know if you heard Stephen or not. But, I was suggesting that Maximilian Shell was at your door and you had planned a surprise for us. Uh, he, he, by, died by bringing... in two, he died in 2014. Okay, so not terribly I thought so, him, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm uh, plus five, uh, minus five years, so that's about right for me. So, but the, uh, That was a big thing for us because she was in this uh, Dr. Kildare TV show years ago. Uh, yes. Tiger Tiger was the title of that. And mm -hmm. all of us guys went nuts how beautiful she was. So yeah. for Steven and I, it was like, oh my God, yeah. you know, so, and she was the sweetest person. She was, it was just great, you know, to get a chance to talk to somebody that was such a romantic interest. You know, that's, that's a good question too. Did you guys get to interact? I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of big legends uh, in that movie with you there. Yeah. I, I know, didn't. We were we were we were the and... lowly extras on the side of the stage. <laughs> uh, Tom was because he was in it more and, and had a you know the job doing that. But I mean, we saw him, looked at him, but uh, nobody looked at you, Stephen, and was like, "Get me a coffee, kid." <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, yeah, Mr. I, I really bonded I'll run with right uh, out Robert. and get you one. I bonded with Robert Potter, uh, and because he was just such a guy's guy. And then years later, I was able to actually cast him in one of the movies I was doing. So that, that was wonderful to look at him, you know, as kind of a hero and then actually get to direct him later on. Did he, uh, did he remember you from the Black Hole experience? Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay, so I, I need to transition because we literally will just pick, and then what happened, you know, all day on the black hole. But I need, I need to do this, and I, I've prepared the, I've prepared uh, the sandwich and Mr. Monty there that uh, that this was going to happen. Um, sometime after, maybe five or six years, four years, five years after, did you guys collaborate to create Home Entertainment Center as a one man show? Well, no, what it. I'll give you, try to make it brief. How it started was- Capsule history. Uh, I had done these shows and I wanted to do a new show, but I wasn't sure what it was. And there was this tiny theater uh, called the Chamber Theater, 33 seats. And and they said, well, maybe they want you to go and look at it. So I went over to look at it and they opened the curtain and there was this hyper-realistic kitchen set like you do for True West. And I looked at it like that. I said, wow, this is amazing. It was a show that had bombed, that I had closed in a week. And I said, guy, could I use that? And they go, yeah. And I go, does that stove work? He goes, no, but we could fix something up maybe. Anyway, I had a bunch of different ideas. And so I sort of put them together in this first version there. So literally the set came before the play. <laughs> and I wrote this play. It was The original version was very different. And it was about a guy who had quit a job. And then uh, he kept getting these calls to come back and do it again. And you weren't sure, guy, what was he? Was he a, a, 
a male prostitute? Was he a drug runner? Was he this, this, this? And then it finally ended up, he delivered gorilla grams. And so it ended up with me putting this gorilla suit going on. There were elements from and some of the songs that were in the other one. So I did that. And then I just, it was like, you know, no, not work. So we took some time off. Then I reopened, I rewrote it like over four and a half months at the Glendale Public Library. And uh, I had this image of a guy coming home from work in a suit and, you know, chanting, going, banks, banks, bank. And then being having to do something, write this speech and being distracted. So I rewrote the whole thing, kept some of the elements and did it at that theater. Then this guy, Charles Duggan, a producer, wanted to do it in San Francisco. I thought, okay, this still needs work. And so then that's when I brought in Tom to direct it. And uh -huh. Tom came in there. And then he's the one that really lifted it up, coming up with bits and shtick and, and just focusing the performance. And uh, so I've been able to try stuff out over a long time with, you know, in front of audiences and so forth. And it, it was good. It was okay. But when Tommy came on board, that's, and we worked uh, together to do it. And then went up to San Francisco and opened and it was a hit up there. And then Showtime came and said they wanted to do it as a special. And then Tommy directed that too. So, and then, you know, we still kept working on stuff when we were in San Francisco, still tightening it. And, you know, you can always improve things. So uh, that's that's a sort of brief, <laughs> a brief thing on what- a Brief history. Yeah, but yeah. When, when the world was exposed to it, it's when you and Tom uh, collaborated, Tom directing and, and you starring in, um the version that they filmed for showtime and uh i can tell you i'm going to promote it right now it's on um i think it's on amazon prime yeah it's right? on amazon prime you can see it it's and Apple it's called banks home entertainment center and uh i have to tell uh, you know just adding my own my own bit into this that's my first exposure to steven and subsequently unbeknownst to me tom uh, Tom's work uh, uh, in directing. And I have to tell you, if you've never seen it, you're, you're missing out. Hysterical. The best one-man show I've ever seen. And I mean, just a phenomenal performance. Like, was that multiple performances and you cut it together? Was it a single performance? Yeah, no, we, well, by the time we shot it, I had done the show about 441 times. And we shot over three, we did, we shot three shows. We did like a matinee where we had, Tommy had a lot of cameras in the, in the audience and so forth, a smaller audience. Then we did a show that night with the full audience at the Marines Memorial Theater, which sat about 600. And then we had also shot the night before. So we had three um, shows to tape from, to choose from. And then Keith Truesdell was the, was the editor. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, so it was, so we were able, but I'd done it so long. I mean, the show was very tight by that point. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, but we had to expand it to a bigger stage because the one act where I'd done it before was smaller. It was right. intimate. It was like 140 seats and the audience kind of raked. In my theory, that was the best place to see the show because you really felt like you were in the room with the guy. Um, and so we went, when we went to the Marines Memorial, which is a bigger theater, instead of like three steps to the refrigerator, it was six steps. There we go. And it was weird. It added this time. So we had to cut some stuff out. The show ran about an hour, nine, hour, 10. So we had to cut it down under an hour for showtime. So there was a whole piano keyboard bit that we cut out. And then we cut some of the verses of the songs and certain things because it had to be an hour. And then I had 
because no one knew who the hell Stephen Banks was, we, I had my friends Penn and Teller do an introduction to it, which I think you can see on YouTube where they're yeah. standing, they're yeah. standing by the, uh, under the, the green Golden Gate Bridge of uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, and we did. It's exactly the shot from Vertigo because Teller's a big Hitchcock fan, as I am. But yes. we, yeah, we we created the the thing from that, and Tommy directed that. We had the shot where they're looking over, and so they did that intro. That's not on the Amazon. It is on not, Amazon. No. You don't see that, but and they and they they cut out the nude scene too, which has always bothered me. Yes, <laughs> that one. Fortunately, there was no nude scene. <laughs> I, I I thought it was missing something now i know what the something is and i'm just gonna ask this this is how big of a fan i am but be honest at least one of those cuts is the pencil scene well the pen yeah yeah the pencil scene this is true story i when i first did the show i literally cooked cookies on stage and when we were down here in la at chamber theater i put them in the oven we couldn't use the real stove but we put a hot plate in it we'd warm it up before the show and i could put it in and they would cook <clears throat> chocolate chip cookies i would make them and one night i go over to get you know the bell goes off i go it's cookie time i pull open the stove it's stone cold we had forgotten to or it got turned off and it's like and i'm looking <laughs> down at just raw cookie dough and i'm thinking i've got to kill like six minutes this is ridiculous so i went back i sat down to because the character's trying to finish this speech that he lost for his boss on a typewriter. That's how long ago it was. And then I just picked up a pencil and started tapping it, tapping it, tapping it, playing, playing with it, knocking it off. And then I knocked it off the table and flipped it off and that, and I kept doing it a little farther. And I'm thinking, what the hell I'm gonna do? Finally, I hit it and it went towards that window. And I thought, could I get that out the window? I gotta kill time. So <laughs> I kept doing it, doing it, doing it. And then finally I got it out the window, the crowd erupted. So then um, I said, I've gotta keep that in. And oh, I had yeah. to practice it, but you couldn't, if I got it out too soon, it wasn't an accomplishment. Right. But if it went too long, it was just boring and awful. And then Tommy helped come up with bits like where I put the the Olympic thing on and do the Olympic oh, yeah. theme oh, and, yeah. and, and run around. So well, it's a little shorter than it is in the uh in on the tape, but it still works. It just, it just looks like it looks like the way that this the way that it's cut, and maybe Tom can speak to this. The way that it's cut, it looks like you're missing. And finally, the director uh, went. You know what? When he gets one, cut to that, so that we're not <laughs> sitting here all day watching Stephen Banks trying to flick a pencil out of his house. And as far as bits goes, and the pencil bit goes. Whoever the genius was that put 200 pencils in the drawer <laughs> for you to take out and then put in the cup when you run out of pencils, I bow to you, sir. That is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. Well, it just, it's the first was improvised and then it just kept adding and we just kept adding little bits to it. You know, what could you do? This, this, okay, it's like this. And it was something an audience could identify with, but I had to be very careful because a couple of times I got it out in like the second or third one and it, was, <laughs> it just blew it. It was like, damn it, you know? So first <laughs> I had to intentionally miss, but look like I was trying. And then I had to really get down. And then sometimes I, don't, I just literally could not get that damn pencil out. I was going, going. And then what I would do is I would take that entire 50 pencils and I just chucked the whole thing at the window um, because I knew you could only go on for so long. We kept a chart in the theater in the lobby of how many, when they walked in, they saw this chart and it just said like one, four, seven, eight. It made no sense <laughs> until the end of the show when I did a Q and A and then explained what it was. So, so, so 
so Tom, uh, I, I want to make sure that you're an active part of this conversation because the collaboration that I showed to literally, probably at this point, thousands and thousands of people on an old VHS tape that I illegally taped off of Showtime and kept in a special <laughs> case because I was terrified it was going to one day uh, rot and I would never be able to see this thing again because there was no official release of it. Mm. How does what does that <laughs> phone call look like coming from Stephen Banks? Like, so Tom, you know I'm doing this show and I need to bump it up a bit. And you know what what how does the what's the genesis of your involvement there? And and, and what did you think about that? Well, I mean, we've been such pals for so long. I, I don't think there was a phone call. We were probably just you know going to a movie together or whatever. And you know I'd seen the show that he had first done, and I thought it was terrific. So it was you know, very exciting for me because I, you know, I come from a very visual comedy background in the terms of, you know, the kinds of things that I love and, and, and you know, always wanted to do. The thing that was so great about the show for me personally was, you know, Stephen is so great at all these different skills. So it was a question of every night being able to sit there, you know, with a pencil and paper and, and, and the audience and go, okay, we can tighten that up. We can fix that. Oh, how about, the, you know, so that by the time that thing was shot on Showtime, it was bulletproof. I mean, there wasn't anything to change. Everything worked. Night after night, the audiences roared. I mean, it was like a phenomenal hit up there. And there wasn't anybody that didn't go and see it and didn't laugh their heads off. But it was that it was so great to be kind of part of something that, you know, really worked. But it was, you had the advantage, unlike film, where you shoot it and you hope it works and you cut it together, to have a live audience you know, as the Marx Brothers and some of the great comics that we loved try things out with an audience, then shoot it. You know, obviously right. you can't do that anymore. But this was one of those times where you could, you know, as Stephen said, you had so many performances just to really hone that down by the time, you know, it was taped, you know, it, it was like at its peak. I mean, it, it, go ahead, Nick. No, I'm just kind of curious because, uh, like, for myself, I've worked in, like, the news industry for, for a while. And I'm thinking to myself that whole time, I'm like, you, you easily would have got, Stephen would have got his 10,000 steps on his Fitbit while he was uh, out on stage, if that was a thing then. I, I'm just curious for both of you guys, uh, like how exhausted were you at the end of it? Because there was just so much energy that was being displayed and running around everywhere and having to call cues to camera guys and for the edits and this and that. Like just how, once the show was actually done, just how burnt out did everybody feel? Because as a viewer, it was fantastic, but it's like, wow, I wish I had that kind of energy after the fact. Um, Look at Stephen you, when he comes out for his bow. He looks like he's about to fall over on the, the Showtime <laughs> special. Um, it was, I mean, it, it, it was tiring. I was younger then, obviously. It was tiring. But on, you know, Saturday Saturday nights, I'd do two shows. We'd do like a seven and a nine. I can't and even that. It it And, you know, I mean, I would take a shower in between after the show because I was, but lucky I was, one thing that made sense, so I thought, okay, what's the most comfortable thing to perform in? Pajamas. <laughs> right. So... It was, you know, lightweight cotton pajamas. So that wasn't a thing. You know, I didn't want to sweat because I hate sweaty performers unless you're supposed to be. Um, so if you notice, you probably don't see them. There, there was water all over the stage in all sorts of little glasses and cups. It's all over the stage. Oh, yeah. And there was one that we actually had that we had to cut out. There was this one that would, it played the Mickey Mouse, uh, who's the leader of the club, the, the melody each time. But it was weird. You couldn't really tell where it came from because just the way the sound and people would go but yeah so i i make made sure to keep myself hydrated and uh you know could 
wipe my brow and so forth. But yeah, it was nonstop. Um, and so it was exhausting, but it was thrilling. It was exciting. I mean, it was, it was really jacked up. And then I would, you know, rest in between the shows when I did two. Um, it was a good, it was a good workout. <laughs> yeah, it's, it certainly seemed it. Once we had the show really down, then, then I had to start fucking with him. So there, there's the part where he goes over and looks into the toilet. And I put like, you know, his, his professional picture in there with him, you know, smiling. So he opened it up and then watching him try not to laugh, you know, just had me in hysterics. Well, then that's what he did. One thing he did, we, we came back to L.A. after, because it ran about almost in Europe and San Francisco. And we came back to L.A. I did a couple weeks at the Pasadena Playhouse in their upstairs theater. And then I did it at the Cannon Theater um, in Beverly Hills. And Tom had to actually go because he was shooting a movie up in uh, Canada, it was a thing about all these nuns being, nuns being murdered. And he had told the, the propers that it's an opening night, go do the thing. And I go to open the toilet and he had her put in like four baby Ruth's or whatever candy, which of course didn't look like baby Ruth's candy. So I opened the toilet and I see these, you know, little candy turds in there. Um, so that was, a, that was a surprise. <laughs> yeah, you never knew what was gonna be inside that toilet. <laughs> yeah. It- yeah, that that kind of uh, you you know having done theater, I understand you know that 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 kind of uh, you know play that you get out of that. But uh, you know, I want to I, I want to talk about that in, in the kind of not knowing what might happen aspect of things. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the things on the special that I think gets a humongous laugh, and then there's a joke immediately following it. I think that a lot of people miss, and that is uh, Siamese twin cookies. <laughs> yeah that was i'm making the cookies and i bring them out and just what happened was one night i pulled the cookies out you know and i put the raw dough in them and they cooked and two of the cookies had like were together because yeah. i put it too close yeah and it was just improvised it was just i saw it and i just went oh my god siamese twin cookies and then i you know cut them in half with a spatula like uh-huh. ah! then i just like the twins are alive and it was just one of those great moments where it was, it, it was a brilliant and there then, was a looseness. Yeah, but, the, but and, then, because you're recovering from that, which is hysterically <laughs> funny, you know, you know, in the opinion of every person that I've ever showed this to, it's a hysterically funny movement, and you're still laughing when you then take the tray and go, afterbirth, and scrape oh, the crumbs right. off into the plate. And so many people miss that <laughs> joke. You know, that I'm just like, this is the nature of theater and you're seeing it right in front of your eyes. The ability on the fly to not only come up with, I'm going to separate the Siamese twin cookies and have a wonderful moment. But then just in the shadow of the laughter, there's another joke kind of crammed in there. Uh, It's funny. I actually had forgot about that. That was right. It was just, I remember the first time there was just more cookie residue, crumbs and stuff like that. And I just thought... Here it is. So, I mean, it's not, those were like key moments, improvising the cookies that time and the pencils. But once the two things were, once I did that, when I repeated and Tommy, but that's what great, what a great director Tommy is. You always had to make sure that it didn't seem like you were a robot and you were doing everything had to seem like it was for the first time, which sounds right. simple. But if I did that pipe too fast on, you know, if I didn't look at the pipe and go, huh, that could be something, then put it down and then do the precise going across like a periscope, you wouldn't get the laugh. Same thing with the cookies. And so everything had to seem like it was happening the first time, but also 
so there wasn't a lot there there wasn't like it wasn't like a loose improvised show it should feel like it's all happening the first times but it was very because tom and i had both done mime and we had studied chaplin and keaton and laurel and hardy and all and so there was a real precision to it but it had to come off natural um, right naturally or you wouldn't get you wouldn't get the laugh, but when those moments come, because I do like to improvise, you know, you you got to grab it and say it. And I'm oh, sure yeah. there were some I did that didn't work out. <laughs> um. So uh, again, because I don't want to spend, and literally, this could be the entire uh, uh, Kevin Fawns over Home Entertainment Center uh, for the entire interview. But <laughs> as we're moving on, uh, you know, past the the black hole and past Home Entertainment Center, so. What ha- where do you go then? Because the, you know, like reading your CVs, it's kind of like you guys have done everything. <laughs> like literally the two of you have done literally everything. And then, uh, you, you know, Tom, Tom does in, in the opinion of people in this room, uh, a film in, in one of the greatest horror franchises ever. Um, the one we call the one with Horseshack. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Friday the 13th, Jason lives. And I know, uh, Nick, Nick is a humongous horror fan. I know he has some questions about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I will say that your film came after what I would consider the worst installment of the Friday the 13th. So like everything just got turned around and just was really spectacular after that. Um, I read that when you made the movie, you wanted especially that opening sequence to be almost like a a black and white kind of film. Was that kind of like for a particular style you wanted throughout the whole uh, uh, movie? Or was that something that you were looking for in terms of just kind of like a a nod to the classic like universal uh, horror films that, you know, everybody is um, a fan of? Like what was the stylistic choice? It actually was a little bit of both, Nick. It was like, on one hand, you know, I was hired and I had one, one command, bring back Jason, you know, and it's like, well, can I have humor in it? And it's like, you're not going to make fun of him. No, you know, it's like, I just want the kids to be likable and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. And then I was free to kind of do anything else I wanted. And they were incredibly supportive at Paramount in that regard. Um, so the two things I wanted to do was, uh, Obviously, all my influences are, are gothic horror, and all that came from was the Universals, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, you know, all those great you know, Universal classics. And then there was something George Lucas had said years ago that, you know, after you, when you're making your movie, look in dailies and see what it looks like in black and white, because you want that contrast to be happening. So I've said this a number of times, you know, after you've seen the movie a few times, turn off the color and just watch it in black and white. It, it's very cool. It comes off, you know, very different feeling, but you really get much more of the Gothic horror look. And then of course I was, you know, stole the Frankenstein lightning bolt to bring back Jason, which to me was the only way you're going to bring back something that's dead to bring it back to life. But I never looked at Jason as a zombie. You know, I've always had this controversy with fans going, well, there's the, pre-zombie Jason, and there's a zombie Jason. I go, he's not a zombie, you know? I even have the guy shoot him in the head, and he doesn't die, you know? But they didn't know what else to call him. I know, to, to me, Frankenstein's not a zombie. You know, he's undead, you know, and you can't kill him. But it really was those influences of Universal and that, you know, that one thing I remember hearing George Lucas say. 
So, so you say that the, the, you didn't have much direction other than like try to not, you know, not to make like a goofy uh, kind of movie, but outside of from the studio, um, what kind of blowback was it from the MPA? Because, uh, I've heard that they, they've toned the down, they've toned down the movie so much that it was an absolutely different cut versus what you want, or at least I read that's what it was. I wasn't exactly sure how, how much they altered your your decision on the movie so what did that end up being like well i actually i mean we had nine screenings for the motion picture rating board nine and every time it was you know what we call frame fucking just take a few more frames off of that a few more frames <laughs> we never lost any complete sequence um the movie before me part five was directed by danny steinman who had come out of porn so he had a lot of just heavy sexual things about it and you know and the oh, that much it. more gritty and you know and green you know much much more dark grindhouse mm-hmm. and one night i was sitting next to quentin tarantino with a group of us at dinner and he goes you know you know my favorite one you know i loved yours it was great it was definitely good but part five i go you're the only person i've heard say that why did you love part five because it's disgusting it's despicable it's horrible it's a friday the 13th you know <laughs> So, I mean, go figure. Then the guy after me was John Buechler, who was a makeup effects person. So he went all the way with the effects. So he really got his stuff cut out, and as did Danny Steinman. So I came in going, you know, I'm gonna, I don't want to lose any of these sequences. I'm just going to shoot them in such a way that it's going to be minimal what they can cut. So they would pick on weird things like the sheriff backbend. You know, it's like, and there's not a drop of blood in it. It's a, it's a gag, really, mm-hmm. uh, that I wrote for Dick Van Dyke and Tommy Smothers to do on their show, on Dick's show years ago, called The Chiropractor. And it was just using two pieces of human being to bend them back. And I thought, all right, let's do it for horror. And they, they kept coming back to that one saying, no, more, take more out, take more out. So, you know, it, they just really felt like that whole genre they wanted to, you know, pick on. You know, Cisco and Ebert, you know, went on and said, all right, the next thing is another Friday the 13th. And, you know, it's going to be the same thing. It's all this stuff. And, you know, and are, we really don't recommend, you know, you to see it. And then Gene goes, yeah, in fact, we didn't see it. We didn't even want to bother to see it because we knew what we were going to get. And I'm going, that's great. <laughs> you know, kill it, give it two thumbs down and not even watch the movie. Crazy. So it, it was that period where people were out to hate them. Well, let me ask you this, because again, now, um, you know, the the... Industry's changed a little bit. Uh, I will say that the horror genre, uh, as Kev alluded to, is is my favorite uh, compared to, you know, stuff that's like the comic books, you know, sports that I'm into as well. Uh, horror continues to grow. Uh, I just personally love the, the fans, the industry and everything. So w- what's your evaluation of where the genre is, the fans are right now? Because it seems a lot more unique, at least to me, uh, compared to um, other um outlets and and uh genres as well so wh- what do you think of the industry as a whole kind of right now as we stand well it's it's sort of divided there is there's the fan base from the in the movies of the 80s and that just keeps building i mean 34 years later you know the, my friday the 13th is more popular than it ever was and each generation, you know, sees it. And it's sort of like the entry drug into the series. Lots of times people say, well, see this one because this has a little more of a story and it's not as graphic and whatever. 
So, so many people have seen it and then go, oh, I want to see more of these and then go back and see the first one or, you know, the last one, Jason Goes to Hell um, or Jason Meets Freddy. But they're, so there's that whole group and they have conventions. They, you know, they keep us alive, you know, photo signings and all that kind of stuff. And then there's obviously, you know, the new generation of, um, you know, from uh, paranormal on that are trying to come up with something new, which I think is great. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the, the thing that, you know, that, that's on uh, uh, Shudder um, called Host. I love called, it. I love yeah. that film. So damn good. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Gotta I mean, you know, it. that's a great use of Zoom and it really delivered. I mean, it was only what, 55 minutes or something long. It was but, very short. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, to me, that's that's the thing that I keep hoping people will discover um, that there's somebody will come up. You know, I teach film directing and producing at, at Chapman University. And I'm always telling these basically teenagers, you know, who just, you know, got into college, blow us away, take all these influences and, you know, create something new because it's only new if you can combine a bunch of things. There's nothing ever going to be truly new, but it's like you take from this, take from that. And I said, which is what I did with Friday. I just took kind of screwball comedy and put it into a Jason movie and tried to at the same time have more of a story where, Jason had an agenda and Tommy had an agenda. So, you know, what was going to happen come the end as far as opposed to just arbitrary killing. And of course, and of course, leading off the movie with comedy legend, Ron Palillo. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a wonderful coup to be able to, you know, get him in there. And and it's interesting too, because Tom Fridley, who was in the movie is uh, John Travolta's uh, cousin. Um, so, you know, you've got all this sort of welcome back Cotter in that, in that, in that movie. Yeah. I've actually, um, 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 speaking of, of Friday 13th part six before, just before we move on, you know, I, I've had a bunch of, of the people from the movie on this program throughout the years, uh, show, you know, like convention interviews and things like that. And, you know, and it, it's, it's always the same conversation. It just seems like everybody was having a good time on the set and it seems like, uh, you know, it was a wonderful picture that you produced. So, yeah, well, bravo. We all had a ball. You know, we were all in our late 20s, and it was, you know, shooting six nights a week, you know, one night off, and then we'd all go to some club in Atlanta um, and dance all night, you know, because <laughs> we had to stay on that nighttime schedule. And so it was just a lot of fun. And as a result, we have become longtime friends. I mean, I'm, you know, I talk to these people all the time, not just the, the Facebook, I mean, not just Facebook and conventions, but, you know, texts and different things that we've really maintained a friendship, which is usually, you know, unheard of. Uh, you know, you're a family when you make the movie and then everybody, you know, goes their own ways. So it, it, it was a very special, you know, experience. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's so fun to watch today and finding independent young creators who are making content um, that you, you get attached to is, is really fun. But, uh, Stephen, just to go back to you, because, uh, as you mentioned, you were involved, you, uh, have been involved with SpongeBob for many years, which is, mm-hmm. uh, our friend Dom's favorite show probably <laughs> growing up. And I know he has tons I, of questions that he wants to ask you. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, to make it seem like growing up. I, when I say I watch SpongeBob almost every single day. If I missed a day of SpongeBob, it was a bad day. <laughs> SpongeBob, I watched so much growing up. 
So having someone that I'm talking to right now who was a lead writer in SpongeBob for the lead writer, sir, the, the head writer, right? So <laughs> the, I, yeah. that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's it's blowing my mind that. Um, well, what was it like? You know, working on a, a project like that. You know, SpongeBob's been around. I don't know how many years at this point. It's oh, it's like over twenty years decades. now. Yeah. Well, I came in. Yeah. I, I came in on like, seasons. What was it like being in that? Uh, well, I came in on seasons uh, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight. So I was I I wasn't there in the beginning. Um, I'd missed the first three of the seasons, but I was a huge fan. I mean, it was such a great show. It was just like, it was so fun. I mean, kids could watch it, adults could watch it, and um, so then they asked me. They said after the third season, they hadn't decided whether they're going to really do more. And then that's when it sort of really exploded and became a phenomenon. And they said, do you want to, you know, work on the show? And they said, but you should know, we don't do scripts. We just do outlines. And I said, Hey, I would, it's, it's the best show on. I said, I would love to. <laughs> so finally they called up and said, Oh, you're into consideration to come in and work on it. And they kept saying, you know, they don't do scripts. They just do out. I said, that's fine with me. I don't care. So I went in and worked on it and we would do a premise, half a page describing it. And then we do an outline, which was like two and a half, three pages long, describing in detail the action of what happened. But we didn't write the dialogue. Um, that was all the storyboard people who did that. And then we would look at the storyboard, make suggestions, this, that. I would go to the records. But um, I knew several of the people who'd worked because I'd known Steve Hillenberg just from because he was creating the show. I remember when we watched the first pilot over yeah. at this funky little place and was on VHS and they had the first one and he kept running going, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I go, oh man, they are. I was working on a show called Cat Dog. I go, they've already got a catchphrase. Um, and so it, I, I had a great time because in that show, it was a good bunch of people to work with. Uh, Paul Tibbet, who ran the show um, when I was there was, was really great, very direct, specific notes. We had a lot in common. Um, a uh, very funny guy, and he he directed the second movie, and then he worked on the third, or wrote part of it, um, and he uh, he worked on the show up until the last maybe three years ago, um, <clears throat> and he was from the beginning. He storyboarded actually the title sequence, so it, it was a really good group, and it was like we were like, what's you know, let's make things that we think are funny. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, what do kids think are funny? I mean, we were obviously aware it was a kids show, but. Um, yeah. but also we weren't trying to put in like a lot of pop culture references or, 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 you know, secret stuff or whatever like that. I mean, we did throw some things in like those, but, um, but it wasn't like, we weren't trying to make like a hip, you know, cool cartoon because I, well, it already was very, um, but yeah, they just had a great crew there. It was well run and I had a terrific time and the writers that worked under me and with me were terrific and went on to do a lot of things. So it was, no, that was a good six years. What was so, it Tom, Tom Kinney, right? Was, wasn't he? Tom SpongeBob? Kinney does the voice. Yeah. Tom, yeah, he, I don't know why I'm freezing up on that at the moment, but he described the process of making um, episodes to me in a, in a previous interview uh, and his whole face just lit up when he described it. Like, Oh, let me tell you what we did. And you know, he went through. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Tom's Tom great. Kinney. Tom is he's such a fantastic voice actor. He does a lot. He does, uh, I think the, the best series to me, am I after, uh, um, uh, uh, after SpongeBob was probably adventure time. And he does the voice of, uh, uh, yeah. the, the King, you know, uh, on that. Um, but yeah, Tom is, 
He's just really funny and he is a fantastic voice actor. And the variety in SpongeBob's voice, most people don't get what voice acting really is. And all those guys are good. Bill Fagerbaki, who does Patrick. You know, you can't just, stupid, playing a dumb character, it can't just be one note. And the variety, I would always laugh the most at his stuff during the recordings. And then Clancy Brown, you know, does Mr. Krabs and, uh, uh, you know, they're, it's, it's film, a, film it's legend. Movie. Film legend Clancy Brown. Sir. Film legend. Yeah, yeah. Legend. He's something. He's, yeah, there's a lot of, when you meet him that first time, he just kind of looks at you and you're like, I don't want to get on this guy's yeah. bad side. He's going to kill me by taking my head off. Yeah, there's a lot of gravitas with him. Uh, we we want to move on because, you know, I did promise sure. that I wouldn't take up both of your entire mm -hmm. days. So we want to know, uh, Tom, what do you got going on now? Tell us about the band, The Sloths. <clears throat> okay, well, um, just referring back to Friday the 13th, I wrote finally after 32 years later, I wrote a sequel to my Friday the 13th, which we're, you know, trying to get it made, but we have to wait for the lawsuit between the writer and the original producer to come to terms. So there's nothing that can be done right now with it. So I'm kind of, you know, sitting on that and writing some other scripts also in the horror genre. But I, yeah, I'm, I got back with this band that we formed when we were in a teens and 15, 16 year old and back in the 60s called The Sloss. And back in the day, we opened for The Doors, Iron Butterfly, The Animals, all these groups. And we were like 15, 16 year old kids. And suddenly, you know, like, I guess it was a, like 11 years ago now, 10 years ago, um, we find out that this little 45 that they had made called Making Love that nobody would play because the title was too provocative in 65 was this kind of underground hit, particularly in Europe. So it brought us all back together again to talk about it. We decided, well, why don't we get in the garage like we used to do, like a garage band, and start playing. And one thing led to another. And so the band has been performing well, up until the pandemic, which killed the tours, killed <laughs> people and everything. Yeah. But, you know, we ended up doing an album and a vinyl album and a number of, of uh, music videos. Um, and, you know, it's been great because this is a bunch of, guys in their 60s, now 70s, and doing the rock that we did in the 60s with probably, you know, more passion and energy. Uh, I am one of those guys who sweats, unlike Steven. So at the end of every <laughs> show, I look like I just come out of the shower with clothes on. But it's been just amazing to be able to do that again, go back and do a dream that was... You know, and and where can the kids... Uh... Where can the kids pick up the album? Can they can they get that over at the Amazons or? Uh... Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have an Amazon anymore. But um, yeah, it's it's available if you go to thesloss.org. O R G. Okay, you you know, it's available there, and the T-shirts and the cups and the you know all that stuff. And then if you just go on YouTube and put in the Sloss Band, because if you just put the Sloss, you'll get those cute little furry animals with the <laughs> free toes. Um, but, you know, you can actually see, you know, what, what we're doing, which is, to me, nice. still kind of amazing at our age that we're getting away with this. Quick question about your sequel to part six. Does it ignore seven through ten? Yes. It does. Okay. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I sort of felt it was okay because Halloween got away with it recently. Um, but basically, I, I kind of made Twice. it. I set yeah, it up by saying this was something that was found in the archives of this convent years later and we believe this is true but it's from those notes that i wrote this so it's sort of like you can 
take it for what it is. And, you know, I wanted to do Jason in the snow, in the winter, Thanksgiving, religion. I mean, there's so many elements that have not been done in a Friday before, but it really is him being down there for 13 years. And then he comes up, you know, 13 years later, he's going to look a little different. Not, not a lot, but you can't keep something underwater for 13 years and not have it have some effect on you. And, you know, if we've made the mask already, there's concept drawings that are out on it that's in the new box set that just came out on the series. So, yeah, it's, you know, sort of active and going, but I don't know when we're going to get a chance to make it. Well, I, I mean, I think, I think based on your timing, we can still leave X, the funniest installment. We can leave that one in, I think, mm -hmm. still, because yeah. it sounds like timing-wise, it would still be okay to have X. Yeah. That's my, it's yeah, they all have their hysterically version. funny, yeah. hysterically funny movie, my opinion. Funny in a good way, where I thought part eight was funny in a bad way. So <laughs> anyway, um, and Stephen, I know that uh, on top of, uh, of working in so many animated uh, uh, projects, you have a, a, a novel series as well. Very serious uh, adult novel series. Uh, not adult, mi middle grade. It's not adult. It's a, it's a series, called, but it's horror. It's called Middle School Bites. Two of them have come out. And it's about a kid who's 11 years old. He's about to start middle grade. And the night before, the day before he starts, he gets bitten by a vampire, a werewolf, and a zombie. So he is a vam wolf zom, which in my research has never happened before. He's one third each of those things, but he still has to go to school and deal with it. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a novel. It's uh, basically sort of uh, uh, for kids, let's say fourth grade through, you know, middle school, but it's also written that adults can enjoy it too. It's illustrated. I, I like it too. And he likes to do by Mark Brain. <laughs> and there are a lot of little Easter eggs and hidden jokes in this in these books. Even some references to Home Entertainment Center. But oh. anyway, it's uh that's, it. that's it. the hook. I'm in now. There we go. <laughs> if you can get it at independent bookstores, please try to do that, because uh, they are suffering during this. But if not, you can get it on Amazon. But and it's also good for like reluctant readers because it's written that it's it's very fast paced, it's funny, um, but still making the points about a point about a kid that's very different and unique fit learning to fit in in this school because they totally accept them they have an assembly and they go we accept everybody here and so you know we're, we're accepting him so it's not about him hiding it um but he has a lot of strange funny things happen to him so anyway doing that and then just recently starting back tomorrow uh this new series uh animated series stan lee's superhero kindergarten starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, and um, it's something Stan started, uh, obviously, before he died, and I had met with him on another project, and it got the go-ahead, and uh, they approached me a year ago, but I was too busy to write it, but then subsequently, a year later, they came to me, and the timing worked out, and uh, they basically sort of let me write the type of show I wanted to write and do it for kids and adults, and it's really fun. We've had four sessions with Arnold, uh, recording and he is totally into it and having fun with his type care about a superhero that lost his powers but all these kids got it he has to go into a kindergarten and teach them but it's it's really out there I mean they really uh, they let me break the fourth wall and do a lot of stuff and Arnold is so great about making fun of his persona and 
his catchphrases and everything. So anyway, oh, yeah. that'll probably be, I won't be out to the end of next year. Um, but that's, yeah, Stanley's superhero kindergarten. So oh, that, and then I have some plays I'm working on, but right now those are the two main things, the books and uh, Arnold. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, we'll keep an eye out for, for all of those things. Uh, so make sure you check out uh, the album, the books, the shows, the movies, the things, uh, everything that our two amazing guests, uh, Stephen Banks, Tom McLaughlin, we want to thank you uh, from the bottom of our black hole hearts uh, <laughs> for coming on and spending a little time with us today. We hope you'll come back when you have something, like maybe when the cartoon's going to come out, Stephen, we'd love to have you back. Yeah. or. Or Tom, if you got something in the works and uh, you, you want to come uh, come on and, and let us know about it, we'd love to have you back. Um, I, and as I uh, uh, oh, I didn't mention this on the show. I have I have begged and pleaded uh, to have uh, Stephen play us out with one of the right. home entertainment uh, songs. Uh, but before we do that, we want to do the the plugs. So, uh, Mr. Monty. You can find me online as Monty's Mayhem. That's M-O-N-T-E-S-M-A-Y-H-E-M. I'm on uh, Twitter, the Snapchat, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, uh, all over the place. Uh, Big Kev, Mr. Big Kev, sir. Uh, you can find me over on the Xbox uh, One Nation as Big Kev GS, and I'm BK Geek Stuff everywhere else. Mr. Sandwich? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and the Xbox One Network at Fat Dumbledore, F-A-T-D-O-M-B-L-E-D-O-R-E. Outstanding. I love, I love how you, you, the, the connection froze right as you did that. Uh, and you yeah. can help us support the show for more awesome segments like this. Just head over to patreon.com slash geekstufftng. And, and if you, oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Sir. I was going to say, if you, if you have any questions or comments about uh, today's show, any show, any topic, things you'd like to hear us talk about questions, we should have asked Tom McLaughlin or Stephen Banks, please, by all means, use the GVM line. 201-730-2547. And leave us a message, Aaron. You may hear yourself on an upcoming episode of Geek Stuff TNG. Out. Standing. We should also uh, just pimp out our email at geekstufftng at gmail.com. Uh, and with that, Mr. Big Kev. Uh, with that, we are going to uh, defer to uh, the, the legend of Stephen Banks uh, to play us out with one of my favorite tunes from Stephen Banks Home Entertainment Center, which you can check out on Amazon. And uh, we thank you again, gentlemen, for joining us. Please don't leave. We, we, we got a couple of things to clear up with you right after the fact. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Stephen to end this program the way we have never ended a program before <laughs> uh, by having Stephen Banks play us out live. Uh, are we doing the whole song? You want me to do the whole? You, you can do as much or as little of it as you like. So if you do the whole song, uh, we'll, we'll play the whole song out. It's up to you. It's a short well, one. We'll see what happens. I can remember everything. We should have Tommy singing. He can really sing. First you get the lighter, fluid and a match. Here we're going to everybody. Please stand back. I said, well, first it didn't light. Now it won't go out, now the smoke is getting thick And them bugs are coming out At the barbecue, at the barbecue My, um, 
dad's gonna barbecue outside at night doesn't like to do it because it never gets it right i said uncle wants a medium sister wants it rare mother likes it real well done the baby doesn't care at the barbecue at the barbecue I'm a Jesus, I said. I sit here and darling, you sit there. I said, <laughs> oh yeah, close your eyes for daddy says a prayer. I said, a plate for the meat, a plate for the buns. I said, a table for the adults and the daughters and the sons. The mom and dad gonna lay down the law. Don't blow those milk bubbles with your straw and don't talk with your mouth full of food and please don't go because it's extremely rude at the b-a-r hyphen b hyphen q-u-e take it steve me okay Stephen Banks, thank you thank so you. much for that, Stephen. What a treat. Tom McLaughlin, Stephen Banks, thank you so much for being with us today. 